Hello, everyone. Welcome to this episode of KurtCast. My name is Tom Baker. I'm the host of the show. It is great to be back with you again on this episode, which I believe is number four. Um, we are going to talk with Jack Armstrong. Jack is a, um, a racer from the Midwest, from Colorado, currently uh, going to school in Oregon um, in college. We'll talk a little bit with him about that and let you kind of get to know his background a bit. But um, and then we're going to talk a little bit about uh, two cycle stuff here on in this interview. We're going to talk um, OKN engines and just talk a little bit about the motor situation on the two cycle side of things. Um, and first of all, Jack, welcome to the program. It's good to have you on. Um, you've been following uh this sort of i don't want to call it a revolution but this uh development with regard to um i mean okay motors have been around for a while um now we've got okay n and it seems like there may be some sort of uh rebirth going on and um you know just kind of a the pendulum may be swinging back a little um for this type of motor. So talk to us a little bit, first of all, about what the OKM motor is and uh, tell us a little bit about uh, kind of what's going on with it and, and what should we understand? Yeah, thanks, Tom, for having me on. Um, but I've been, these new OKN engines have been fascinating to me. For a long time in America, the OK engines weren't that popular, especially not where I've raced uh, out west in Phoenix and Colorado and California and et cetera. But what I find most interesting about these motors is that they're direct drive. So unlike most carts, like most four cycles and shifter motors and things like that, uh, besides the DD2, these are just direct to the axle. So there's no chain, nothing like that. So they're very, very simple go-karts. Interesting. And something you don't really see very often as well is their push start only. So okay. unlike um, cart motors, they are not um, tagged. They're not touch and go. So you don't, there's no starter motor, there's no pull start, you have to push them to go. And they have a couple of different um, technological things in them. They have a decompression valve on top of the cylinder to make it easier to push start. Because um, you can push start like a Briggs motor, it's possible, but it's very difficult if you've ever tried. So they, there's a couple different things in the motor, but they are very, very simple, and they're very, very simple to maintain, which means they're cheap to maintain. And that's kind of the advantage of these motors is they're fast. They make about 35 horsepower, which is the upper end of like a senior Rotax or a, a senior IAMI. And they rev up to 15,000 RPM, which is a lot. And they're just, they're simple and they're fast. And years ago, they kind of started to fade out in favor of tag because tag was kind of seen as the next evolution. As tag is gone, more and more expensive it's kind of bounced back the other way where people are wanting to go back to the okay formula. Yeah. Keep and simple. That's um, it's interesting because, and you see this throughout karting, you see it on the four cycle side with um, especially on the dirt track side of things. Um, you know, you went from the flatheads to gosh, we've got predators and clones and, I can't even keep track of them all anymore. Um, you know, there's there's a variety of different kinds of motors out there. Um, this is almost like a retro thing. It it feels like, um, you know, 
if if you're uh, if you're a music fan and you and you're old enough to remember like me, um, you know big band jazz, and you think about when it came back in the '90s. Um, a little bit with uh, Brian Setzer and Squirrel Nut Zippers and some of the other groups. Um, you know, this is this feels to me sort of like a, res, a, re, a retro resurgence like that, where you've got sort of a new version of the old motor. Um, and now the Rotax was, you know, you're seeing a lot of 125s. Are we looking to go back to the hundred CC formula or what? Tell me a little bit about where you think this is all going and talk a little bit about who's involved in this, who's behind this push. So, uh, yes. So back in like 2005, the okay formula was incredibly popular, uh, especially in Europe, less so in America, but in Europe on the world carding scene and the FIA carding scene, the OK formula is incredibly popular. So you're right, it is coming back. Um, it's been nearly 20 years since it was yeah. at its popularity. So I think that as it comes back, the companies involved, because it used to be in the OK formula, you'd have different motors that you could pick between. And that's still the case in a lot of European racing. You can pick between IAMI and Rotax and all the different engines because they all just have to meet a certain cylinder size requirement. But now, as we go to OKN, there's a um, IAMI, Vortex, TM, Modena. They're all working together to create a more unified formula, which also will keep costs down because there's less competition. Now, you might see that as a little bit of a downside as well because less competition there is, the motors aren't going to have as much innovation because there's no drive to, let's say, Vortex finds something that costs an extra five grand but gives you an extra five tenths. There's no drive for that anymore because it's all one motor, which is both good and bad, um, depending on which side you're on. But another thing is where this is headed is I think it's kind of going to slowly replace a lot of the chain-driven classes, especially because the, a lot of the chain-driven classes have been slowly replaced by shifter because shifters became a lot more popular recently. Yeah. Um, back when I won my Challenge of the Americas Championship 2017, I was in Minimax, but I remember all of the shifter guys there was one shifter class it was just shifter and now there's junior shifters master shifter and the i guess you could say senior shifter and even in some places i've seen junior shifters start to exist and as that becomes more accessible the chain driven carts become less and less interesting to the junior parents who are paying for the junior kids to race because the junior kids can just go straight into shifter and if there's not a valuable alternative to the shifters then there's not going to be anything else so as this okn formula gets around and it becomes more accessible and it's very simple to maintain in comparison to a cart with gears it will become more and more popular it's kind of a good intermediate point between a four cycle like a, a briggs lo206 class versus a shifter class it's kind of a really good middle point where it's still pretty simple, but it's a lot more power, a little bit more expensive, and a lot higher revenue. And the competition should be a lot uh, more difficult as well because they're just faster. So there's a lot more physical exertion going into it and a lot more technique that needs to happen. What do you think, uh, Do first of all, do we, do you know the 
what what's the cost of one of these motors? What can you tell us about about that? Uh, I've seen a couple different estimates. The unfortunate thing is a lot of the cost and things is all in Italian and um, German, and that's Europe is where these carts are being raced currently. Ah, and just okay. Here, the Americas, they've started to come to the U.S., but I was not honestly able to find a like on point price assessment. I saw estimations that they're cheaper than chain driven and they're much cheaper than shifters and they're more expensive than four cycle but i haven't found a concrete this is the price answer um i'll be curious i don't know if there's any um like dealers in america either for these motors because even for companies like vortex they're sold as rock here yeah in the u.s so i have not seen dealers or anything like that certainly in the research i've done but hopefully as it happens this year and we get more and more races this year with these motors, the, a couple of dealers will start to emerge and they'll be a lot more accessible for purchase. Interesting. So um, what do you expect in terms of, I mean, you mentioned that they're racing in the Challenge of the Americas. Um, what other events or where else could we see these motors um, in, in, in this calendar year? Do you have any any uh, insider info on that? Uh, I do not have any in, insider info on it, but I think that if they really want to have it take a foothold, they got to get it in Scusa because Scusa for a while has been the large championship. Now things like stars have come around sure, and they're rival it for sure. But I think that if you want to make a name for a motor, you got to have it in Scusa and Scusa already runs all the IAMI stuff. So it'll be a pretty easy uh, introduction because IAMI is one of the partners for the OKN engines. Okay. So, yeah, you're just adding another, basically adding another class or two um, probably to the schedule, right? Because you're not going to. Correct. Yeah. Okay. You're going to run them um, as a separate class. Um, so since it seems like these this is a wave that's sort of replacing the Rotax, which seems to be as a national motor, maybe losing a little bit of its luster. Um, what's, you know, what's next? I mean, I, I know there's still, uh, they're still pretty popular out West, but what is your, what, what's your take on, on where Rotax goes from here? Yeah. As a longtime Rotax racer, and I, I do love the Rotax motors, for a while now, they've been pretty much Colorado is they race. They've still a good foothold in Colorado. And then a couple races a year on the national scale. I mean, this year there's six races. There's the winter trophy, which has already happened in um, Florida. Okay. Then there's the uh, West trophy, which is just in Phoenix for rounds one and two. And then there's the East trophy, which is in uh, Pennsylvania and yeah, Pittsburgh at the uh, Pitt International Race Complex. Yep. And then um, if you win in those championships, you get to go to the Rotax um, final in the U.S., which is in Newcastle, Indiana. And then if you win that, you get to go to Bahrain, which they've had that deal for a couple of years. But, I mean, if you look at, like, Stars and um, Scusa and everybody like that, they're all running either IAMI or Rock, like um, Challenge of the Americas, they're running Rock. They used to run Rotax the longest time. And they have at least, I would say, three times the amount of races as compared to Rotax. Because Rotax, 
has, I said six, they have nine. So it's the eight kind of uh, regional trophies and then the one final in terms of national competition. And it's still popular in Colorado, but even as I was kind of leaving the scene and getting ready for college, Miami was starting to take um, put hold even in Colorado with their uh, air-cooled formulas. Okay. So, we're, we're, I mean, do, do you see Rotax ever kind of coming back um, into national prominence, or do you see it, because it, it sounds like it's kind of more regional in in popularity at this point in time. I didn't realize it had kind of gotten the down to that level, but um, do you, do you see it ever coming back? What do you, what do you, I mean, th- it's, it's an interesting development because, um, to see this OKM motor, um, usually, I mean, you, you trends and fads and all of that exist and, and, um, but this seems like because of its simplicity and, you know, and, and relative affordability, this seems like it has a chance to, um, to be a wave in the U.S. So, you know, do you think Rotax ever regains support? Man, I would love it to, but what's been the nail in Rotax's coffee for the longest time is exactly the opposite of what the OKN engine is, and that's the complexity of it. Okay. Between the power valve, and you can really, really tune Rotax motors, and it's gotten better in recent years. But for a while, there was tuners that you could get where they would buy 20, 30, 40 Rotax motors and just find the best top end, the best bottom end. And they'd be making two, three more horsepower than the entire rest of the grid if you were willing to pay uh, $100,000. Yeah. It's, it's a tough formula to compete against. And certainly it's gotten better. And Rotax has gone a lot of the way towards um, engine raffles at their big events where you show up and you have a chassis and then you get a number for your engine and you go up to the Rotax booth, you race it for the weekend, and then you give it back at the end of the weekend. And that keeps it fair, but it's also difficult when you can't have your personal engine and you can't test your engine going into the weekend. So I'd love for Rotax to come back, but at this point, it's going to be tough for them. Um, I think they have a good good motor and they have a good formula, and I love the, the power valve system that they have, but it's just too complex at this point when you have such good competition and when shifters are becoming cheaper and cheaper by the year, the complexity can't compete when you can have a similarly complex motor and run shifter. Yeah, it's uh, that's the uh, it's always the two headed coin, isn't it? That you, you get you get something that's really good, but then as soon as everybody figures out how to kind of you know, tune it. And that's one thing I see with, with motors and karting is, you know, the, the more that, that somebody gets to tune on them. And, you know, I mean, as you just said, you know, a hundred thousand dollars, I can't even wrap my head around spending anywhere near that kind of money on a motor for a go-kart period. You know, I, I just can't, um, for what you get back out of it. Um, gosh, I mean, you know, there's, it's a fine line, right? Cause I mean, nobody really likes spec because we, we, the minute that as soon as you get to spec, then, you know, if you, if you can't touch the motor or tune the motor or do whatever, 
you know, motor builders don't like that. If you got a spec tire, then, you know, tire manufacturers don't like that. Um, you know, you, you, except for the one who's, who's chosen to, to be at the track. Right. But, but I mean, you know, it's, it's that yin and yang that you always want innovation and you want, you want some levels, um, you know, and, but it, it gets to a point where the cost just gets prohibitive. If you don't keep everybody somewhat balanced, you know, and, and keep some sort of a common sense level there. I mean, you know, it's, um, even for someone, and I guess I should ask, you know, ask you to give us your background a little bit. Um, it's even, you know, it's hard for you to, to, to afford to be able to go race carts all the time at this point. Right. Correct. Um, like when I used to race in Rotax, it was kind of right as Rotax was falling out of the larger scene. So at okay. the point, uh, Challenge of the Americas was still running Rotax. Rotax is still pretty prevalent in like the Florida scene and things like that. And that's still kind of Rotax's second home besides Colorado is Florida. But Florida also just has enough volume of racing drivers that they have still a foothold. But as I was racing it you just you'd show up to the weekend and there's million dollar motorhomes and there's dads that have 20 million dollars and when you're a dad you're willing to pay anything to see your kid win sure when you're racing against that kid it doesn't matter if you're as talented as Ayrton Senna you're not going to be able to keep up with a motor that's half a second to a second faster than you a lap you yeah. just you can't keep up with that and that's kind of where Rotax went is if you can see the disparity in the field between the people the have and the have not, so to speak, the people who just showed up with a motor that was either mildly built or it was um, motor like a, I had a built motor from two, three years before. So it had been through its paces. It had been rebuilt, but it was a built motor, but it was still a few years old. Yeah. So I was more fortunate than some, that's for sure the most built like kids show up to races with a new motor every weekend, you know, and it's just that kind of is what killed Rotax. And it's also what pushed me in 2019 to go towards the four cycle formula because in from 2015 through 2018, I raced Rotax and I raced a little bit of rock in 2018 as well. Um, and then after that, it was just not the cost investment versus the return on investment. Yeah. It was just there anymore for me and I, I think we've seen that as well with shifter becoming more popular and only a little bit more expensive now than tag a lot of families and drivers have made the business decision so to speak to choose the more difficult more um, learning environment that is a shifter cart versus a expensive single uh, gear go-kart like a rotax or even iami has kind of their air-cooled formula has been very popular but their water-cooled formula has kind of gone the way of the dodo bird as well so to speak <laughs> well <laughs> <laughs> okay so this i believe in out of the uh out of the four shows we've now done this is the first and maybe perhaps the only time that we ever hear the phrase dodo bird um, <laughs> on a cart show so uh <laughs> congratulations jack um, that's, uh, that's interesting. So, um, all right. So you're a racer, make sense of all this for, for the people that are listening to this, make sense of all of this in terms of, 
Um, where, where it is, is, is the OKN in your opinion, is the OKN a good thing or a bad thing? And you know, what should, if, if, if there's somebody who's looking to get into two cycle out of four cycle, or maybe they're, they're listening to this and, and they're getting into go-karts and they're looking, you know, two cycle, um, you know, talk a little bit about, you know, where do they start, you know, and, and uh, let's assume that, it's an adult here just for purposes of this conversation, but you know, with all these different motors and kind of the ebb and flow of, of, of this, where, where do we start and what, what do you think is, is ideal here? So if, if you're just starting out with karting, go four cycle, hundred percent, go four cycle to start. Um, it's one of my big regrets that I didn't do that. Um, why? Go for, uh, why? Why? It's it was too much for me when I entered. I entered when I was fourteen, and it was it was too much cart um, for me to handle. Okay, and I, I handled it fine. I ran mid pack. Um, I mean, I even won a championship in twenty seventeen, but it was too much for me to handle, and I didn't really have a pinpoint on my racecraft. Okay. But then in eighteen, I went into four cycle, and I was able to pinpoint my racecraft. Won another championship in twenty nineteen. And since any time I've hopped into two-stroke, which has been unfortunately not as often as I would like, I have felt a million times better and faster and just more precise now that I've had a year, two years actually, a four-cycle of just refining everything. So if you're just getting into it, go four-cycle for a year or two until you feel like you've gotten to the limit of that motor. Um, and I was fortunate as well. Colorado, their four-cycle formula I really like. They run a super, super hard tire. Uh-huh. So the thing isn't that much different to a two cycle. It's just at half the speed. Okay. Um, places will run a similar tire in the four cycle to the two cycle. So it becomes very flat out around most of the lap. But even at that point, I would still recommend four cycle for at least a year. Uh, one cheaper, easier to get into, make sure you like it. Um, and then after you refine that, you're at the limit of where you can be in four cycle, then go two cycle. And at that point, I would look at what has the biggest field in your local area. There's nothing better than just racing more go-karts. Because um, even if a motor is cheaper, if you're racing one other guy, you're not going to learn very right. much. Yeah. yeah. So I, I would just go to the biggest um, field. If the fields are comparable size, I would choose the most simple and cheapest two-cycle, which would be either an air-cooled like IAMI or Rock or the new OKN engines. Okay, so... Now, you know, everybody has kind of that breakdown of, well, if you're going to start in a four cycle or if you're going to go two, here's here's the best couple of choices to, to start off with. Um, OK, so uh, we, there's been a lot of discussion and, and we talked with Christy Kendall on our last cart cash sheet um, is she runs a series down in the uh, deep south called Carting the Coast down in the Mississippi uh, Louisiana area. And, uh, you know, Christie's talked a lot about the importance of rebuilding the local clubs and, and how, um, it seems like there's been this sort of downturn where, you know, a lot of the local clubs are struggling or, 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 or are going away. There's, there's just not enough of them anymore. 
um, and there's no sort of overarching um, you know, body like WK used to be, but isn't anymore, where you know they supported the local clubs. Um, and in so when you're starting out, it makes it more difficult, depending on where in the country you're from, it makes it more difficult to find a, a, a local place to race. And, and starting out on a national tour of any type, obviously, is difficult just from the pocketbook aspect. Um, never mind necessarily the competition aspect, but you're a racer who, again, you, you know, it's, it, you've got a finite amount to, to, to race with. And of course now you're in college. I mean, what do you, what do you think about that in terms of, um, you know, how, what do you, where do you think carding needs to go? Because you're kind of the, you're, you're sort of a, a model of the type of racer that is, is kind of on the edge here um that that carding needs more of you can't necessarily afford to go you know run all over the country or whatever in a national series you'd like to run more locally um you know talk a little bit about sort of your thoughts as a racer who's kind of tried to establish himself uh yeah that's a really good point that you've brought up and i was uh, very fortunate colorado has an incredible local scene um despite the fact we had no car tracks or any. Really That's nasty. interesting. There was where I lived in near Denver, there was five tracks within an hour, which is incredible. Wow. Like you don't get that anywhere. And I would have fields when I was racing two Oh six of 40 drivers. Like it was unprecedented. Um, and local club of CKT has done a fantastic job of promoting it. And even uh, as I kind of started to fade out in 2020 and 2021 as real life got a hold of me, it even doubled the size of when I was racing. Uh, they got to the point where they had to split the LO206 field into two um, because there was just too many carts on the track for it to be safe, um, which was incredible to see. But also, as you've said, as I moved to Oregon, there's nothing here. There's nothing. Um, there's not a state championship. There's not really much of anything at all. Now, granted, my closest track is an hour and a half away, and it's more popular for drifting than it is for karting. But I'm I'm still not. I'm six hours from Sonoma, and not that far from places like Thunder Hill and Button Willow and yeah, Hats Acres and all those tracks. And there's not a regional championship for me to compete in. It's I can attend the Challenge of the Americas events maybe, um, but they went to Cal Speed, so they're down in SoCal, so they're not even in NorCal anymore uh, like they used to be out at Sonoma so there's not really much for me to compete in and I think that it's important that every single region or state has a championship for entry-level people to compete in because eventually it's going to dry up and people won't be competing in the national competitions anymore because it's too expensive too difficult and too scary for the younger drivers or the new drivers or even just the guy who works a nine to five through the week And he just goes out on the weekend for a little bit of fun. And he's not trying to make a career out of it. And that guy isn't going to pay 10 grand to go race in Stars or Scusa or um, Pro Kart or any of the championships like that. So I agree. It's very, very important to keep our local clubs very active. And I was very fortunate to be a part of one in Colorado when I did live there. Yeah. Now you're in, you're in Oregon and, and, um, Talk a little bit about, first of all, talk a little bit about 
college and what you're doing there. Um, and then talk a little bit about maybe the difference between the karting scene in Colorado and it, it, where you were. And of course, um, I don't know. I mean, are there, are there a lot of dirt tracks there? Are there a lot of, um, you know, or are most of the tracks in Colorado road courses? Let's start there. Uh, so Colorado had one dirt oval for karting. Yeah. And it was, I, I think, like, I don't even know if it had really that many races. I think it just kind of said, hey, show up with a go-kart, go have fun. <laughs> I don't think it was very much. Interesting. Uh, okay. Uh, I also wasn't very involved with the dirt oval scene. I know of another dirt oval that was kind of out in the sticks, and I'm not sure if they really did even any karting there or if it was just car stuff. Uh, there was one paved oval as well, same location as the dirt oval and the same location as one of the road courses, uh, IMI Motor Complex. Okay. They had, I think it was either 8th mile or like even smaller than that, maybe 10th mile, little concrete paved thing for the go-karts and they had a road course which had been there since the 50s and it still looked like it had been there from the 50s really really <laughs> fun um it had a which they had cars on they had carts on um and all kinds of stuff like that so i might was a good place but i think that was the only dirt oval that had carts in the entirety of colorado at least to my knowledge wow Okay, so I just wanted to clarify that because when you were talking about the density of tracks earlier, um, 98% of those were, you know, were road courses. Um, okay, so now let's talk about Oregon. You're in Oregon. You're going to college. First of all, where are you going and what are you studying? And then talk a little bit about what have you observed, if you've had any time yet to do that, what have you observed about the karting scene kind of right around your area now where you are in college versus Colorado? Uh, so I'm in uh, Oregon Institute of Technology down in Klamath Falls, Oregon. It's 20 minutes north of the California border. So when you think Oregon, you think like Portland and things like that. It's nothing like that. It's much more sunny, much warmer, uh, <laughs> a lot more southern. Think of it as California, but cheaper. <laughs> uh, almost anything's cheaper in california isn't it yeah true okay uh, but where i live now is also a much <laughs> smaller area a much smaller city I, I used to live right outside of denver in colorado okay. a very very big city um and now where i live it's not really any big cities I mean, the closest city to me is an hour and a half away the okay. closest city to the airport is an hour and a half away and they pretty much exclusively fly like two by two airplanes out of there. So if you've ever been to an airport, most airports support a three by three um, in terms of the seating configuration in the airplane. So it's a tiny little airport, but it only exists because there's nothing else around here. So I, it makes sense. There's not a lot of tracks around here because there's not a lot of people around here. And of course the tracks follow the people because there has to be demand for it. Um, I'm not terribly out of luck in terms of things that are, somewhat close like i mentioned sonoma is within six hours um the reno track <laughs> a lot of the ikf stuff is about five hours away um, thunder hill is about six like there's a whole bunch of great tracks that are just about within a day's drive but that's not a out and back day's drive that's yeah, you go out say. on friday morning you camp out all week and then you drive back after you race on sunday and not everybody can do that especially if you have a family or yeah. things like younger children at home or just don't have the option to camp. I mean, 
it's not that's already a difficulty in itself if you're traveling with you your like maybe your wife and your kid and that's three people that are gonna have to find a place to sleep and then you have to tow a trailer and then gas becomes expensive sure oh yeah not racing around here um what i was very fortunate about in college is my school main reason i picked it is they have what's called a formula sae program which is basically like a half scale f1 car okay so they're four-cylinder bike motors um the regulations are pretty open so some of them are becoming electric now uh the really really um high dollar teams are going electric but for my school we have a tube chassis so similar to a go-kart in that way but it has a roll cage um slick tires about 90 to 100 horsepower bike engine from an old wrecked bike like the cars aren't very expensive because we don't have a big budget. Right. They can be very expensive um, for big teams like Cal Poly or Texas A&M, things like that. Um, those cars can run upwards of $200,000. Our car wow. is probably about ten grand, which is still a lot, but it's, it's a pretty good deal to race competitively-ish against much, much more high-dollar teams. And I say competitively-ish because – similar to what I dealt with in Rotax, you're not going to compete against that. You, you just, they have crazy wings and they have support from GM and they have <laughs> wow. funding and they're electric and their drivers race in Europe in F3 cars. Like it's crazy. Um, but for my school, what's been great for me is as a freshman, I've been able to get on the team and I've been able to drive this year um, in the main competition, which is, awesome as a freshman uh, most teams you have to be a senior to even have a prospect of driving even then you usually have to foot a bill to drive so it's awesome that this school yeah it's tiny yeah they don't have as much money to build a car as some other teams but i'm also able to have a much larger impact on the team is the team of 15 guys not 1500 that's crazy i had no idea that sae had gotten so out left field for, for from a cost standpoint. Holy cow. Yeah, not just the American side. I mean, the European side, they get funding from, like, the Red Bull F1 team. And they use the wind <laughs> for the Red Bull F1 team. Like, it's literally just a half-scale Red Bull F1 car. That's insane. Uh, for the American competition, you know, it will be punching above our weight for sure, but I hope we do well this year. I think we can be kind of innovative with our ideas and designs because unlike karting, the rule book's pretty just open, you know. We build yeah. our own. We build everything on the car, like it's it ground up every year. Um, I walked in first day, and there's just a pile of tubes on the ground, and they say this is this year's car, and we welded it all together and everything like that. And it's been cool to just build it from the ground up, and we're able to tweak things. And every car looks different at competition, um, which is a nice difference from karting because you know you go to a kart track and there's couple different chassis, a couple different motors, that's okay. it. So um, that's also where the cost difference comes from in SAE is the craziness that all the big teams have is they have carbon wings that are just in themselves a few thousand dollars, just in carbon. Um, so hopefully we can do well this year. And to your credit, I think not a lot of people know the depth that is Formula SAE. Because it's not really a racing competition. It's a <laughs> cool competition you, for the business of building a race car. You, but 
I'm going to treat it like a racing competition because I want to win. When it gets to be 200 grand with, you know, Chevy support, that's, that's hardly a school competition anymore. Uh, and I guess there again, I guess you're now you see, we, we, we talked a little bit about, you know, the high, the sort of pros and cons of spec versus, you know, open. And here you go. You have basically no rules and, you know, it's $200,000. I mean, it's, you know, um, so it's, um, you know, I mean, there's, it's again, it's hard for me to wrap my brain around, um, why, you know, why there would be so much support from GM other than perhaps, um, you know, they're trying to recruit engineers that, and so this is one way of getting them, you know, experience or whatever. I don't know, but, um, that just seems, that seems crazy to me. And you kind of go into it and I guess you're, you're really trying to compete as much against yourselves, right. Um, and to perfect your own car versus actually trying to, you know, trying to outpace, you know, quarter million dollar cars. Yeah, correct. Um, I, I think the main reason GM fun stuff like this, to your point, is to just support engineers, and they just they can hand pluck the best yeah. engineers all the teams and say, "Hey, you're working for us now." And I don't think a lot of the guys who work on these teams would refuse a job working at GM designing cars. No, like that. <laughs> yeah, you don't refuse that kind of offer. So if you toss a few hundred thousand dollars towards the team's way which they probably write off as charity anyways then it's not that big of a deal for gm right yeah it's just get a... to work for and design their cars in the future um, especially with the electric stuff that is coming through F- fsae now um you want your best electrical guys yeah. to be making electric cars in the future yeah exactly who knew i mean that's uh that's that's interesting um Okay, so um, so where what 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 is your biggest pain point with regard to karting? I mean, what what is what would you like to see happen in karting, um, and and why? Like, what you know? Tell us tell us a little bit from your point of view as a racer who is certainly not you know able to just go do exactly what he wants whenever he wants. Um, you know what? What 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 do you think karting needs to do in order to kind of make it easier for folks like you um, and and others who don't have tons of money to be able to compete? Yeah, so I think there's kind of a there's a difference between what I think it needs to do and what I want to happen because what I want to happen is endurance racing in karting because it's not very at all, and I Ooh. think that the sprint formula introduces is a high high level of aggression without much patience because you have 15 laps to make a move happen yeah. you don't have 100 laps you have 15 and you got to make every single corner count and you have to make a move when a gap opens and that's good to teach drivers that for sure but it gets to a point where you have to be so aggressive to survive that it becomes dangerous and it becomes yeah almost negative once the drivers get into cars because in cars you can't just bump another formula three car yes and expect it to be fine Preach. you'll destroy front wings you'll cost the team you'll cost yourself and i think that the sprint racing formula that karting has damages that now also with that 
for series to make money, they have to have entrance. How do you have entrance? Run as short of races as possible. So if you're going to sacrifice, let's say, because there's, you know, there's qualifying, there's a sprint race, there's a final. That's pretty typical. Sometimes there's two sprint races, depending. And if you're going to sacrifice the two sprint races for just one final, and even then the final will be, let's call it 20 minutes, 30 minutes, maybe 40 if you're lucky. I think a lot of people will be like, oh, there's less racing and they won't show up. And then if you want to run an actual endurance race, like three, four hours, that's one class a day, maybe two classes a day. And you're not, you're not getting as much entries. Cause if you have 10 classes and you have 20 entrants per class on a typical SCUSA weekend or whatever, and it's probably more than that, you're getting a lot of money from all the entrant entrants just paying their fee. Right. But if you have, two races that are each two hours in length, you're still getting the same entry fee, probably, maybe a little bit more, but you have a lot less drivers. So it's definitely a a financial issue for people to figure out in terms of series hosts, but I would love for endurance racing to be more prevalent in karting. That's a, that is a really interesting thought, but, and I, I mean, I feel like we could do a, another you know hour on um how to even format that properly but when you think about it if you know the one thing that karting doesn't do is so you mentioned um you know the aggressive driving for the sprint races and that's really um i think a very that's almost a topic in and of itself and that i think is just um you know i think that's where you gotta you know as 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 a sanctioning body or as, you know, whoever's running that race uh, from a race director standpoint is just gotta, you know, you just can't, you, you gotta be able to control it. Cause you're right. I see, I see some of these kids get out of karting, go into like USF four where they run timed races and you get one lap of green flag racing because, you know, everybody's driving through everybody and knocking each other off the track um, you know, and, and there, there's just repeat cautions. And of course, cautions on road courses take a while. Um, and so, you know, I think I, but I think the, I think you see a lot of, you know, carters that, that graduate and go up into the cars. But the one thing that I, that you don't have right now is carters. Um, there's no, um, aspect of, of the driver change, of course, that you would get eventually in sports cars. Right. And, and, you know, we're in endurance racing and I think, you know, there could be some way to, um, you know, for, for a, a sanctioning body or a promoter or whatever to have, you know, have, uh, an endurance racing tour or whatever. Um, you know, you just have to, I, I almost wonder, honestly, if you, if you could keep the number of classes down, um, you know, say 10, you know, you, you, cause I mean, you can only run so many, you, you don't want to have it like a champ car race, right. Where you have, you know, 70 carts on the track from all different speeds and whatever. But, but I would think the biggest drawback, the the biggest thing you'd have to do is obviously like, like you said, if you're going to run a, you know, a two or three hour or four hour endurance race or whatever, you're only going to get, you know, you're only going to get a few of those a day. So the number of classes you run would have to be limited to a minimum. Um, but the number of drivers that, that 
you know, if they if they set it up right, you know, you get a lot more drivers there because you're, you know, you got say three hour three drivers per cart or however you know that works out. Um, I think that would be an interesting uh, opportunity for, you know, for some of these, some of the drivers, even like yourself, that you know, maybe if if you could just show up and, and drive versus you know, having to have your own cart and all that, um, you know, that, that would, uh, and you know, I don't know, like I said, I don't know how you'd, you'd sort of set it all up, but man, that seems like an opportunity right there. Uh, I agree with you. Uh, it reminds me, you said multiple classes. There's a, um, cart track in Orlando, Orlando cart center, um, clever name, but yeah. they run a 24 hour race, a 12 hour race, and a six hour race every year. And I was actually looking at doing it with one of my buddies in Florida. It never worked out. But what's interesting for them is they actually run three classes. They run, I think, the Honda Power just rental cart, like a typical rental cart. Okay. You just show your helmet in a race suit and you enter. They run LO206 as kind of the middle class. And then they run a Tillotson, the top class, which is a interesting four cycle. It's much more popular in Europe. They, they right. originate. Yep. It's about 15 horsepower, so double the horsepower of a Briggs and about the same um, weight and a little bit more expensive. So the multi-class thing is definitely interesting. The driver change thing, true, would make up for numbers. Um, the Colorado Classic every year, the four-hour event, you can run two or three drivers, and that's always fun. And we always we had three last year. It was me, um, Cadence Presley, which I know you know, and oh, yeah. but Adam and Brazunas. We all ran it, and me and Adam have run it for years together. And it's my favorite event of the year. It's the one event I will always do in Colorado because there's just something special about driving a cart for 50, 60 laps straight. And, you know, you start your stint and you're two, three seconds behind a guy and you're just slowly inching up to the back of them. And I just, I love that. And I would love, love, love to see a sanctioning body take that kind of head on. There is the American Endurance Karting um, Association. And I've seen them do some events that are usually East Coast. Uh, I've, I've kind of looked into doing them, but I, a lot of their stuff is just rental cart arrive and drive. And it's much more like what you see at like a typical rental track. So they have the bumper barriers around the cart. Oh, okay. Open wheel, things like that. And it's still interesting to me, but it seems like a lot more of a novice competition. Gotcha. Um, and professional endurance thing, which is missing market and carding but maybe there's a reason it's missing yeah it's i mean it it would be interesting and i would love for everybody that's listening to this show and this goes for all of our cart cast shows um you know feel free to drop in the comments your thoughts about any of the topics that we talk about on these shows we do this for you for you um and and we want to try to be as diverse as we can we just can't do it all in one show or they would be three hour shows um so um trying to sort of spoon feed a little bit of of everything here um would love to know what you think about the whole sort of um motor situation and carding and not just the two cycle side that we've been talking about today but the um you know, the four cycle side as well, dirt side, whatever we're, we, we want to try to, um, you know, to, to bring it all, uh, like I said, we just can't do it all in one show every, every, every time. So, um, this has been an interesting conversation, Jack, and I love the endurance, but I'd love to know what, 
what everybody listening thinks about the idea of 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 doing uh, an endurance type um, tour or series or you know because I think you know you mentioned Cadence Presley. Cadence is an example of a young man who is a great little driver and he's very marketable too. And, and yet, you know, but, but again, he doesn't come from a place where there's a lot of money. And so it's hard for him to sort of find a place in karting to belong where he can go and race. And, um, you know, other than, than maybe locally, um, which is okay too. Uh, but you know, I, I think this would be an interesting idea, the endurance thing. I, I love endurance racing and I, I think it I think it's a skill set that um that would do a lot of racers a lot of good because like you said, you know, they're used to these sprint races and and um it's sort of, you know, just go at the green, right? Whereas in an endurance setting, you're trying to manage a little bit and, and you don't have that, you know, great sense of urgency. Um, so, uh, I think it'd be fun and I think it could, could lead to some interesting, you know, pairings for, for driver teams. Um, you know, so, uh, something definitely to talk more about, uh, and, and we'll, we'll be having you back on from time to time to keep us updated on what's hot and what's not and what's going on in, in two cycle karting, especially, but, uh, you know, don't feel you got to be limited to that. You can talk about anything four cycle or whatever you, whatever's kind of on your mind. Um, so, uh, now where can, if somebody wants to be in touch with you, wants to connect with you, where do they do it? How do they do it? Tell us all about it, man. Yeah. First off, thanks for having me on. I've uh, really enjoyed it. And I certainly would like to talk more about endurance karting. In for the sure. I think it's an important aspect, but, um, as to where people can contact me, uh, either jackbrosif at gmail.com uh, or uh, jackbrosif18 on uh, Instagram. Just send me a DM and I'll uh, have a look at it at some point. But um, if you're curious about the Jack Brosif name, it's an old, old nickname for my sisters that's just stuck around. And I've never seen Jack Brosif used anywhere else. So hopefully it's <laughs> Hopefully you remember my name, but yeah, thanks for having me on. And I'd love to talk in the future about more endurance karting. And I for think sure. that it's important for the future of the sport to have somewhere where the drivers can really shine for an hour or two straight, where they can just show their prowess around the track. Yeah. Fun stuff. Uh, B R O S E F F. If anyone's wondering, Jack Brosef. Yeah. Jack Brosef 18, I think. Right. Did I get that right? Yep. yep. Yeah. That's on Instagram. Yeah, on yeah. Instagram. Yeah. So, Jack uh, for email jack armstrong is is uh his given name and uh (laughs) we've enjoyed having jack on we're gonna take a quick break and come back and wrap this show up uh right after the the stay with us on cart castle great man if you're getting into karting or in the market for the next big thing in a chassis check out the all-new skull dragger from roll speed performance Veteran racer Scott Heath has designed a chassis for four-cycle sprint and road race competition that has already gotten wins across the country, including his debut at Daytona on the Rolex track. Skull Draggers have been to Victory Lane in Pittsburgh, Summit Point, Roebling Road, and Mid-Ohio as well. The RSP Skull Dragger features a ton of adjustments, from caster and camera to axle changes and wheelbase. This responsive new design is manufactured at Phantom Racing Chassis in China Grove, North Carolina 
but the design is all about roll speed. Check out www.roll-speed.com. That's roll-speed.com. And get yourself on one badass, bad fast Skull Dragger chassis today. Welcome back to CarCast. Hope that you enjoyed the interview that we did with Jack Armstrong or Jack Brosef, as he as he's called. Um, it was it, it's cool to have. Uh, first of all, it's just cool to see someone as young as Jack, who not only is interested in racing carts and you know in cars or whatever, but is so interested in. Um, how they work and uh, the technology of it and keeps track of those things and dives in. Um, that's awesome to see. We're going to, uh, we're going to be kind of tasking Jack with uh, keeping up uh, with the two cycle stuff and what's going on in that uh, corner of the cart world. And, you know, we'll uh, have him on more frequently. Now um, I want to extend the opportunity for those of you who are listening to this to actually give me ideas if you what would you like to see us cover on this podcast and who would you like to see us profile or talk to what are the issues that you care about um you know, what do you want to know more about is, are there drivers out there that are doing just extraordinary things? I mean, certainly winning bunches of races is extraordinary, but you know, are there drivers out there who are truly doing extraordinary things? And I will even give you an example of the type of extraordinary thing, though, obviously, hopefully there's not too many drivers who are in this situation, but, um, there's a young man named Gabe Tesh. Gabe is out of the state of Washington. Gabe is um, a kart racer, uh, has kind of graduated up from karting. He's currently in the Skip Barber F4 series. That's, um, I think, a new series this year that Skip Barber is doing. And it's um, it, it, Skip is now tied. Skip Barber uh, Racing School is now tied to the road to Indy. And I don't know how many of you are really aware of how far Skip Barber's come and how this, um, the the transformation is incredible, honestly. Um, that in itself is a great story. But Gabe is, uh, is a young racer who, um, when he was, I think, 11 or 12, um, he had brain cancer. And he has come through the cancer, and it was from... It was during that recovery, um, Gabe is, is, is a very uh, faithful, God-fearing young man. And it was during that recovery that um, he decided that he wanted to do something extraordinary. And that's, um, that's literally kind of how, in his mind, he framed wanting to go racing. So he started racing and... and um, last year was over in uh England in the UK um racing formula fords and now this year is is running uh skip barber f4 and gabe is not a driver you know who comes from big money 
you know, there's it's he the um he he's just not in that position. Um he want really wants to kind of um use his opportunity with racing to um create awareness about and impact others with um you know who who have gone through or are going through childhood cancers and so um in his quest to tell his story they actually have made a movie about this it is called do something extraordinary and it is the movie is premiering um coming up here in just a few days at at a theater in his hometown of Spokane Washington and um I've spoken with Gabe several times and we're going to get him on this show um here very quickly uh one of the next couple of episodes of this show to talk about his story and talk about his life a little bit and um that's the 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 kind of content that that I really want to bring not only to to Steering Wheel Nation as a whole but Steering Wheel Magazine Steering Wheel Nation Magazine um and and this you know all of our shows that we do collectively including this cart cast is that's to me racing is a sport about people and it is ordinary people achieving extraordinary things that's i i've always thankfully been most energized most attracted to the competition side of the sport and the people side of the sport um, I'm not a big gearhead. Um, I love cars. I love looking at cars. I love appreciating cars. I love knowing their history. I love watching them go fast and I love watching them race side by side and pass each other. That's why, you know, there are certain, you know, things in racing that, um, everybody kind of gets up in arms about. Um, and I do too, as a fan, but honestly, uh, I would much rather see, I don't care how fast a car is going, two cars are going. If they're racing side by side and putting on a show, to me, that's what makes it. And that's why I love karting so much. It's so underrated and underappreciated because it's never been promoted as a mainstream part of the sport, which I think is insane because to me, karting is one of the most extreme parts of the sport of motorsports that uh, that goes on in a given weekend uh, especially when you start looking at you know the 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 types of racing that happen with you know like the shifters and all of the those but even the four cycle 206 class you know the um the 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 learning that goes on for the junior racers and you know if it's officiated properly the lack of all that sort of over aggressive drive over you know that you see on you know, late model race at Hickory sometimes, um, you know, it's just it to me sitting, you know, two inches off the ground in an unsuspended vehicle um, that you where you feel every bump and, you know, you feel the speed that you're going um, is is incredible. And, you know, and of course, I I've spent a little bit of time racing what was called into our concrete races um, where you put cook syrup on the, the, the floor of, of, of a convention center or whatever. And that's what sort of forms the track and you have your tire barrier or whatever. Um, and you're running like six second laps in circles at, 
you know, not super high speeds, but the fact it's such a tight circle and you're running so quickly, you know, it just wears you out physically, you know? And so to me, I love karting and I love quarter midget racing for the same reason. It's a 20th of a mile track. I mean, I eat Cheerios out of bigger bowls than a quarter midget track, (laughs) you know? And so, um, it's it that to me the the um again you have to learn the reflexes and the car control and all that um so you know when someone like gabe um to me is not just a racing related story he's a human interest story you know everybody can appreciate um gabe and and what he's been through and what he's doing and i love seeing that and so um as I built steering wheel, I've, I really have built it for that type of content. We want to do race recaps. We want to do, you know, the, the, the content everybody else does. Pictures are great. Videos, amazing. You know, all of that. We, and, and we're going to do that in our partnership with connect with that platform. Um, we've called it, it's, it, it just went under, underwent a name change from magic, but our partnership with connect, which is an all in one, platform content hub um is when when that comes to fruition here and just just we're basically at a point where we're ready to to uh, launch soft launch our communities on there um we're going to be able to do things that just haven't been possible in terms of interactive communication and all of that directly through mobile um you know and um it's it's private it's secure um, and it, it just is going to open some doors for, um, all of the, what you would call stakeholders in the sport from the, from the, the smallest cart team to the NASCAR team, to a motor builder or, you know, parts supplier or whatever to racers and fans. I mean, like it's, it's just, this platform is crazy. Um, it's so hard to explain because it's so much it's basically um like taking facebook and youtube and spotify and twitter um you know and and you know all of the the big platforms and seamlessly integrating them into one ecosystem that's what this this platform does and you know so it's it's and it's a platform frankly where somebody like gabe could actually premiere a movie and it's got over 800,000 users already that are on the platform and it's growing quickly. It's been around forever um, for for several years now um, in the music industry. And it has really revitalized that, but it's a platform where it's very easy to, um, to do a premiere on the platform, sell tickets to that premiere and then do the, the actual event with a chat where people can interact as the premiere's happening with, you know, somebody like Gabe, if it's his film or whatever, there's all kinds of things you can do with it. So this is what I, what we're trying to do in the context of everything that we've got going on with steering wheel nation. Um, that's why the support that we get from you all as subscribers to the, to the, to the magazine, which is going to include the platform as well, the community, uh, and on connect, uh, we have a subscriber, community and we're going to be able to 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 do things um you know like that and and create events and do you know some really amazing things that you just can't do 
anywhere else um, because they they don't have sort of the they don't have everything. You know, Facebook is Facebook. It's not also YouTube. Facebook is, you know, not Spotify. Spotify is not Facebook. You know, it's not. So we've got some amazing opportunities coming up, and I'm really excited about that. But I, I, I really want those of you who are, you know, who are subscribing and, and who are, um, you know, who are involved and active and really enjoying the podcast and sharing it and the magazine and all that, um, love to know what's going on out there. And it's carding is very fractured. Um, there's not much, there's not a hub. And that's, I would love, along with Keith Champagne and Cart Lounge, and then, of course, you know, Cart Chasers does an amazing job with what they do, but there is no one person or group that can, carting is so big and wide. Um, so it takes the the participants and the business folks connected to it and the promote all that, it takes everybody to be communicating to us as media, you know, here's something you may not be aware of. Um, so um, this show and Steering Wheel Nation magazine and all of that, and it's, of course, Steering Wheel is not just about karting because, again, I'm trying to, to introduce karting to a mainstream audience that, that hardly knows it exists or knows it exists but hasn't been to a kart race or doesn't realize how awesome it is. That's kind of, you know, and same with some, something like quarter midgets or legends cars, or then conversely, I want you all to know about these other series that exist out there that, that you all could potentially go race in or, you know, move up to or whatever. And, 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 and the people and the amazing stories, the passion, um, the achievements, all of those things, that's what we're about. And the history too. Um, you know, of, of, the, of the sport. So, um, would love to do some, some carding history would love to do, um, you know, would love to find sort of those stories that are unique. Okay. Um, you know, and, and would love to, to be able to, uh, to know more what, you know, what are the challenges that you guys have that we can, you know, talk about and, you know, share information about or whatever, um, you know, so here's, here's how you, here's how you do this. Simply just comment when we share, um, the, the, the cart cast, uh, you know, when you see it online, whether it's on steering Wheel nation socials, or if cart lounge shares it, or somebody like Christy Kendall shares it, um, you know, carting the coast or, you know, we share it to really appreciate the um, 206 groups that allow us to, to share it there. Um, you know, we, it, you know, th there isn't much for dirt carting, unfortunately, and that's something we're trying to cover. The problem is it's hard to, to sort of find information. Um, you know, there used to be a forum called Bob's Four Cycle. That's no longer. And, um, Dirt cart racing has not done a good job of, of having a place where, you know, and that's, that's the problem for the racers we're trying to solve. Okay. On the dirt side in, in there, cause there are some great stories over there too. So we want to cover a little bit of all of it. Um, and so if you, if you have a suggestion, an idea, or, you know, if you have a business 
and you would like to support what we're doing to build carding, because that is why we're doing this. Um, if you'd like to support it, reach out to me. Um, you can, uh, Tom at steeringwheelnation.com is my email. Tom at steeringwheelnation.com. Just shoot me an email or you can, if you're friends with me on Facebook, you know, go ahead and message me. Um, or again, comment here. Um, and you know, let's work together on this because we've got a, a really amazing opportunity here. And we, you know, featuring someone like Gabe is, you know, that again, that's something that, that humanizes what we do, right? It's not just, you know, people having a good time in a backyard dirt track or whatever. There's, there's way more to carding than that. And, you know, so, um, this will only sustain itself if you uh, subscribe and if you, um, you know, you, you step up with, with advertising and, and sponsorship to help this keep going. So, um, also speaking of Christy Kendall, uh, I wanted to share because I I've got her schedule here. Um, 2023 sprint cart racing schedule for, um, finish line performance carding, carding the coast, which is presented by driver line. Um, the next race is coming up actually next weekend, April 14th and 15th at uh, NOLA Motorsports Park. That's race three. Race four is May 12th and 13th. Race five is June 2nd and 3rd. Race six is September 8th and 9th. That's the weekend after Labor Day, if you're wondering. Uh, race seven is September 29th and 30th. That is a uh, finish line performance karting race. Um, another finish line performance karting race on um, October 13th and 14th. That's uh, race eight in the um, in this in the series. Um, race nine is um, October 27th and 28th at NOLA Motorsports Park, and then uh, race 10, um, another finish line performance karting race on November the third. And if you want more information, Christy at driveyourline.com. Christy at driveyourline.com and by the way christy is c-h-r-i-s-t-y okay i know there are a couple of different variations on that so there you go so make sure you spell it right christy at driveyourline.com for more info that's going to wrap it up for this episode of cartcast and again thanks to all of you who have uh passed compliments along we really appreciate that we love that you love it and you know that we're doing it for you um, this is why I do this stuff. I want to try to build carding back up and, and, and introduce it to, um, a wider audience and introduce some of you. Um, so again, any ideas you got for, uh, who I should be talking to? What are the challenges that you face? Um, if, if somebody's really big into the history, we're going to have Tony Cirillo on shortly here. Um, he's another guest that we've kind of got in our target. Um, he's going to talk about, the um, CKNA Northeast series that he is in charge of um, and uh, some other things as well. So we'll have Tony on again here pretty soon as well. Um, but uh, let me know. And uh, until then, I uh, hope you all have a happy and blessed Easter weekend. Just keep in mind that there is no such thing as cheap salvation. Okay. Um, you know, Jesus died for our salvation. So, um, hope that you will, um, will find a church to go to and, 
And uh, um, remember that uh, there's more to Easter than um, bunnies and chocolate eggs. Okay. So uh, have a blessed Easter, everybody. And we'll talk to you on the next cast. I'm Tom Baker. So long.